Well, I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying uh, Romans. I thought I, I knew Romans, but then you go back and you look at it, and there's things that pop up and, and become hopefully clearer as we look into his word. That's because the, the, the word of God is, is a living thing, and uh, it, so it grows. Uh, and, and my understanding of it is meant to grow uh, from first days of salvation to, to the end. Uh, because it's an inexhaustible treasure. So uh, we're in Romans chapter 7, but just by way of review, I'm going to suggest that, that Romans chapter 5 is a, is a transitional chapter because uh, it looks back at the first four chapters where there's the, the talk of how we're caught in sin and how we need uh, the gospel of salvation and how we're justified by faith in Jesus' blood. And uh, so in, in the first four chapters, uh, we get saved, uh, for, if you're looking at it chronologically. The first four chapters, it's, I'm, I'm saved from my, my, uh, my past sins. And then in Romans chapter 5, uh, it's, he starts looking towards the future. He starts talking about, about uh, Christian hope and uh, how, how there's a development in the Christian life and how there's life. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been rec reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And, that, and then in Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 21, So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so... I got saved, and now I'm looking forward, how do I live the Christian life? And uh, I think uh, quite, quite uh, immediately after we, we become Christians, we realize that we're, we're still sinners. We realize that we still got sin. And, and uh, some people, some Christians take it lightly because they say, well, it just gives God an opportunity to give me more grace because grace covers my sin, and so more sin, more grace. And so we, we'll just keep sinning. And they have... Uh, a, an attitude towards the Christian life that is completely ungodly because the Lord saved us so that we could live eat, uh, uh, true life. And true life is a righteous life. It's a holy life. And uh, so uh, when, when somebody says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Then we talked about what, what does it mean to be uh, uh, dead to sin? Because uh, in, in my experience, and I suspect in yours too, we struggle with sin every day. So how can the scriptures say we're dead to sin? And uh, what is the key in understanding that? Because uh, uh, it, it, at the very next verse, he talks about being baptized into Christ Jesus. So how am I dead to sin, and how is it connected with baptism, being baptized into Christ Jesus' death? Do you remember that? What does it mean? Okay, yeah. Yeah. And that sounds like we're dying to sin. Like it's on a daily basis, right? But how is it, how can it be said that we died to sin? How can that be said? We died to sin. 
If it's still alive, how can it be dead? That's the paradox, right? That's the paradox. And the key is understanding Romans chapter 5, because in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 21, it talks about the exchanged life. It talks about Jesus, how Jesus died on our behalf. Not just to pay for our sins, but to be the, 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 the sinner who, who took our place on the cross. And he died not just to pay for our sins, he died to destroy our sin nature. So when Jesus died and he took on our sin nature, our sin nature died in Christ. Our, our flesh died when Jesus died. And so when Jesus was buried, our flesh was buried. And when Jesus rose from the dead, we raised to eternal life. And so when we get baptized, we're celebrating the fact that somebody died on our behalf. How are we dead to sin? I'm dead to sin because my Savior's dead to sin. That's how I died to sin. I died to sin 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross to me, for me. And, and, and I'm with Jesus. And that's what baptism is saying. I put myself with Jesus. Uh, my life belongs to him. He gave his life for me, so fair play, I give my life for him. And I surrender my life in devotion to Christ. I die in Jesus. 2,000 years ago. So when somebody gets saved or when somebody gets baptized, nothing dies at the time. That's, of course, unless they fail to bring them up out of the water tank and they drown. You know, it's, it's that, that might be a, uh, an unfortunate circumstance. But nothing dies when I get baptized. I'm celebrating a death that happened 2,000 years ago. That's what's happening. And I die in Christ. And that's such an important thing to understand because but it's my association with Christ that brings victory over sin. I die with Christ. I'm putting to death the old nature. And one day, I will finally be free from the sin nature. And when's that day? When's that day? When I'm finally free from the sin nature. When I... Go ahead, Julia. When we die and we go to heaven. And not until then are we freed from the sin nature because it's so, it's so inextricably tied with our physical body. The sin nature is, is tied with our physical body. That's why the flesh, the old way of interpreting the sin nature was, is called, in the King James, they call it the flesh. The flesh is just is tied with the flesh. Right? So I can't separate my sin nature from my physical body until, of course, I die. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 7, anyone who has died has been freed from the sin nature. So, positionally, I died in Christ. Practically, I'm dying to sin every day. Finally, I die to sin when my body dies and I'm, and I'm going to be free from my sin nature forever in heaven. Is that, is that clear? So, so the, the, the picture is of death and resurrection. And then last week we were talking about, in chapter 6, verse 15 and on, we were talking about another, another way of looking at the whole situation, and that is slavery. Slavery. Not just the, the motif of, of, of death and burial and resurrection, but the motif of, of slavery. 
because one-third of the Roman Empire were slaves at that time. So it's a very common thing. You walk down the street, and one in three people that you meet are slaves. And they weren't free. See, they were in bondage to their master. And so the, the, uh, uh, this was a common example. And, and uh, Paul is saying here uh, uh, that... that uh, like it says in, in verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. I don't have a choice here as to whether I'm going to be free or not. Freedom is not on the table. The only choice that human beings have is who you're going to be a slave to. That's the choice. The choice is, are you going to be a slave to sin or are you going to be a slave to righteousness? Are you going to be a slave to evil or are you going to be a slave to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ? And that's, that's, that's the choice on the table. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, in a sense, God doesn't give us any other choice than that. Now you say, well, where's freedom? Freedom comes in being a slave to Jesus Christ. Freedom comes when I'm a slave to Christ then I get the power, I get the authority to live a life that's free, finally free of sin, because I'm living in Christ. And uh, so that's what we were talking about last week. Let's start reading uh, uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 1, uh, uh, down, to, down to verse 6, all right? Could somebody read that, Romans chapter 7, 1? Rose, could you read that for us? Uh, down to verse 6. Do you know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to that once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit, not only in the old way of the written code. Thank you very much. So, we got uh, an example of death and, and resurrection. We got an example of slavery to illustrate dead, be, our, our death to sin our, and, and being, escaping bondage to sin. Now we've got another example. It's an example from common life. It's all about marriage. And... Uh, uh, what do you think is the application of this idea of, of uh, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband? 
What, do, what, what does the text try to tell us by this example? And can you explain the example? Okay, all right. Uh, and that's true that marriage is a, is a legally binding contract. It's a law. It, it, it's a, there's a law of marriage. And so it's a legal union. And uh, uh, it's a holy thing that God instituted. And it's meant to be lifelong. So uh, it's saying that if a woman steps out, as you, were, as you were explaining, if a woman steps out, or if a man steps out of that, and uh, gets involved with another person, break the marriage uh, uh, contract, they've broken the law. Uh, and we, can, we call that person a, an adulterer or adulteress. But what releases us from that, uh, from that law? Death. Right? The husband dies, the woman is now legally free to marry another man. So, in verse 4, what is the application? Verse 4, what is the application of that example of the legal bond of marriage? But in this passage, he's not talking specifically about being bound to sin. Although the two are very closely related, bound to the law and bound to sin, he's talking about being bound to a law. Okay, so he says in verse, in verse 6, uh, uh, you, you died to the law through the body of Christ. In other words, you were released from that law. You were, you were released from that law through the body of Christ in order that you might belong to another. And, and the, we're going to see that the two are very close because being bound to the law means that you can't help but be a sinner because the law does nothing to, to sanctify you. It does not, nothing to make you holy. It can't give you the power to live a righteous life. It can only 
what? Condemn you if you sin. It's like the, the police officers on the road. You know, they don't stop and give prizes to the drivers who are good drivers, do they? They don't stop and say, hey, here's $100. You, you, you were keeping the speed limit. I, I, would never, I would never get the $100, by the way. <laughs> here's $100 for keeping the speed limit. Uh, they don't do that. But if, you're, if you exceed the speed limit, bam, you get caught by the radar, they pull you over, and you have to pay $100. It, it, the law only takes, it doesn't give. It doesn't give life. It only takes life. It only condemns. And that's the problem with living under the law, especially if you've got a sin nature and you can't be good. Then, then no, it's, it's inevitable. If you live under the law, you will be condemned. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make in Romans all the time. So we've got to get freed up from the law. We've got to get freed up from the law. Because the law is powerless to save us. So it says that, that in, verse, in verse 4, So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. Listen to it. You died to the law through what? Through the body of Christ. So... You see, if you're not familiar with, the, with what's gone on before and you don't understand that in a mystical way, when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, we died with him. We died to sin 2,000 years ago in the same way we died to the law 2,000 years ago. Christ has freed us from the rule of law because he brings us under a new rule. It's called the rule of grace. It's called the rule of the Spirit. And when I'm, when I'm under the rule of grace, then I truly have freedom to live a godly life. So it says uh, in verse 4, uh, we died to the law through the body of Christ 2,000 years ago that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. So here comes the, here comes the, the, the fruit of the relationship. Here comes the blessing of, of, the, of the marriage, the blessing of the marriage is children, the blessing of the marriage is, is fruit. And, and uh, uh, we, we, we become fruitful, we become alive, we, we, we bear fruit for God when we're related to Christ, not related, not when we're related to the law. It says in verse 5, for, for when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death what does that mean? Sinful passions aroused by the law. What does that mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, we were uh, with uh, James and uh, my son the other day, and he's got a big dog. And all you got to do with cola is tell him not to do something, and then he, he, he wants to see it. He wants to get in there, right? So back he comes to whatever you've told him not to do because somehow it fascinates him because you told him not to do it, and back he comes. And that's, that's like human nature, too. It's not just dog nature, right? It's human nature. As soon as we're, we're given a law and told not to do something, we say, whoa, let's do it. Let's go after it. And so... The law itself arouses our sinful passions. 
That's what he's talking about. And what happens? We fall into sin and we die. Uh, but now in verse 9, dying to, once, to, to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So on one side, we're, we're, we're bound to the, the law. On the other side, we're bound to the spirit. And that's the, that's the, the, uh, 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 the choice that we have here. You're the bound to the law or we're bound uh, to the spirit. Any, any questions about that passage? So we're going to go on. Verse 7. Let's read, um, Kath, would you read for us verse um, 7 uh, down to verse, uh, verse 14. Yes, please. Okay, thank you very much. So, he discusses the nature of the law. The nature of the law. And uh, is the law sinful? Is the law, is the law evil? That's the question. He's just said that the law provokes me to badness. The law tempts me to badness, but is the law itself evil? Why? Alex, you see. Right, because it's a reflection of, the law is a reflection of what? God. God. Holy God. It was given for our protection, and we're, we're going to know that there's, there's an, another reason. Uh, we've already discussed another reason in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 22, I believe it is. What does it say in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 20? Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Who can read it? Yeah. So that's the purpose of the law. 
The law is not just there to condemn us if we break it. The law is there to draw out the boundaries of sin. The law is there to teach us the difference between sin and righteousness. And that's what the law does. It, de it, it, it demarcates very effectively where the boundary line is between uh, uh, righteousness and sin. It's like a sign, you know, on the road that says, no parking at any time. Somebody, somebody wrote another sign, don't even think about parking there. <laughs> don't even think about it. <laughs> or your car will be towed. It will be disappeared. You'll say, well, what? that's not fair. Oh, well, th there was a law, right? <laughs> and you broke the law. And so the law makes very clear where the boundary line is. And that is a blessing for us. If we didn't have the law, we wouldn't understand the holiness of God. Right? We wouldn't understand what's right, and we wouldn't understand what's wrong. But uh, so he said, he says in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 7, certainly not, I, indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. Uh, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Now, why, is, why does he choose coveting? That's interesting. I would not have known what coveting is because... We were talking about, you know, breaking the law on the roads, the, the, the sign that says uh, do not speed or the sign that says don't park there. But uh, coveting, that's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the, the Tenth Commandment, do not covet. I uh, wonder why that one's mentioned as a law of God. Maybe personal to Paul. Maybe, maybe he struggled with that very sin of coveting. Maybe he was jealous and, and, and covetous and, and had envy. Maybe, maybe that was a sin of Paul. Maybe because such a large portion of the audience are slaves, they certainly would be in a position to covet. They would covet their freedom and covet you know, everything their master had, possibly. Yeah, yeah. The, it's a common sin. But you see, it's a sneaky sin, isn't it? Why? Why is it? Because you know what? It shows us our weakness. Because you probably will think, you know what? I'm not a covetous person. Until probably you see something. Oh, I said, oh, I wish I could have that. And then I think the law just shows us, you know, we are all sinners. And these are the, these are the different markers that we have to look up. Yes. You know, you can covet in your heart till the cows come home and nobody can know the, would know the difference. If you park in a, in a no parking zone, everybody will see you. See? But, but coveting is one of those sneaky inner sins that you can do all your life and people would say, such a wonderful person. They, they're, they're just so good, they're perfect. You know? And you know in your heart of hearts that you are an envious person. It's one of those deep sins of, in, inside the heart. It's very hard to... For people to see and, and very hard because it's deep in, inside our heart. So he uses this as an example. Uh, but you see, at verse 8, it says, Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, do not covet, 
produced in me every kind of covetous desire. So once again, you're told not to covet, and guess what? The sinful nature says, oh yeah, I'm going to covet. I'm, I want to desire that because you've told me not to. I'm going to do exactly the opposite. And that's because there is rebellion in our hearts. Sin is, makes us an enemy of God, makes us a rebel. And, and the, 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 the sin nature is a rebellious nature. You, you, you say to the sin nature, obey this, and the sin nature says, nope, I'm going to do that. You say, A, I'm going to go to B. That's what, that's what happens. And so, as soon as the law came, the sin nature kicked up and the rebellion started. And so we're told not to covet. And as soon as the law came and said, don't covet, I start to covet. And then he says, for apart from the law, this is, I'm reading in verse 8, apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Now, it's hard to understand verse 9 unless you remember where you are in the book, unless you remember the context. Because some people think that the Apostle Paul is talking about the days before he became a Christian. He's talking about the days uh, I was alive apart from the law. I was, uh, and then when the commandment came, when I, when I came to God and I understand the holy law, then, uh, then I died. And so some people say Romans 7 is all about the struggle in the unregenerate heart, the heart of somebody who doesn't know the Lord. But if you look at Romans chronologically, does that make sense? Does that make sense that we're talking about an unregenerate person now? Or are we talking about a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it brings it to life, and then you just realize, you know, yeah. it's in God. So, Rose, if, if we're talking about a believer experiencing something here, and the Apostle Paul makes it very personal, because all the way down through this chapter, he keeps saying, I, 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 it's me, me, me. So, he, Paul's personal experience. Verse 9 says, once I was alive apart from the law. When was that? Once I was alive apart from the law. But then the commandments came, and I died. Sin sprang to life, and I died. Isn't that when he was saved? Yeah, okay. And he got saved, and he realized that life in Christ means that, that, that I'm dead to the law, I'm dead to sin, and, and I'm rejoicing in, that, in those truths, and I'm walking in that the light, and, and there's that honeymoon period of zeal for God where everything is wonderful and life is coming easy because I, I'm experiencing God's fresh blessings. All right, this is the honeymoon period in, 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 the, in the Christian life. You meet a young Christian and they're just so filled with the Spirit and so have the joy of the Lord, they're so happy they're saved, and everything's going honky-dory, and then what happens? Sin. Sin. 
the, the grip of sin hits them, and they, 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 they realize the commandment that they've broken, and they say, oh, nothing's changed at all. I'm back at where? Square one. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I've heard that, that statement so many times. Christians coming in, I'm just back at square one. A square one is just an old mall in Mississauga, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's right. <laughs> I'm back at square one. No, you're not. You see? But the commandment, the sin came, the commandment came, I, I feel condemned by the law, and you say, oh, I'm back under condemnation. And I'm dead. Back at square one. So that's what happened to Paul, all right? And that's what happens to you and me. In verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to, spring, to bring life actually brought death for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So here's a Christian who's grappling with their sinfulness and grappling with the condemnation under the law. And there's a lot of Christians who are there. A lot of Christians that don't come to church anymore. There's a lot of Christians who have, who have slipped backwards. They, they live a defeated life because they're under condemnation again. And they're, they're trying so hard to keep the law, but they keep slipping back. And you see, sin, it says in verse 11, can deceive me. Sin deceives me through the commandment. How does, how does sin deceive us? It can deceive us emotionally. That's right. Feel good. What other way? That's right. It's true. And the other way that sin deceives us. See, sin is darkness. All right? He doesn't, doesn't say it in this passage, but the Apostle John uses the motif of darkness and light. As soon as I get into sin, darkness descends. Sin doesn't just corrupt my heart, it corrupts my mind. And that's where the deception comes in. As soon as I get into sin, deception is right there. Deception, deception, deception. And I can start justifying my sin and saying, well, that's really not as bad. I mean, God is easy on this. It's, it's a small sin. You know, I can justify. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie. Or, or uh, God's not going to judge me. He understands my dilemma. I've heard that statement a number of times in the last few days as I do my Christian counseling. You know, God understands my sin. He's okay with it because he realizes that I'm a victim of things in the past, and so he's easy on me. God tolerates my sin. That's a lie. That's a lie. So sin, sin deceives me because... Behind sin is the mind of the enemy. Behind sin is the mind of Satan, and the Satan is the ultimate deceiver. 
sin not only corrupts my, my heart, it blinds my mind. And that's what he's talking about here. Remember how he blinded Eve. Eve was deceived by sin. Remember what God said, what Satan said to her? You're going to be like God. That's right. As soon as you, as soon as you disobey the Lord, as soon as you express your independence from God, you're going to be like God. So God's withholding a blessing from you. Talk about a, a lie. See. Talk about. Doubt, right? The doubt was planted in her head. Did God really say this? Yeah. Put doubt in there first, and then he came with a big zinger of a lie. So uh, that's the nature of that's the nature of sin. Sin deceives. The law is holy and good. And the commandment is good, but I am unspiritual, he says in verse 14. So from, from verse 15, we've got to read from verse 15 down to verse 25. This is a, a very famous passage of, of the, 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 the quandary, the, 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 the confusion that is, that is in Paul's heart as a result of sin. He says in verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And once again, uh, is he, can he be talking about an unregenerate person? Does an unregenerate person hate their sin? Not usually. Well, not usually. You know, they usually tolerate their sin. They usually justify their sins. So Paul, it's like he's, he's got a split personality now. Part of him is wanting to sin, and struggling and, 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 and desiring sin, and part of him is desiring righteousness. And he goes on, and he's saying, uh, in verse 16, and, and, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Do, do non-believers agree that the law is good? No, they'd rather not see the law of God. They'd rather delete it from their thinking. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Got a split personality. And you know what? Every Christian has a split personality. They give, when Christians go into a psychiatrist's office and they talk Christianese, the psychiatrists roll their eyes because to a psychiatrist, a Christian sounds like he has split personality. <laughs> this, guy, this guy's crazy. He's got this desire in his heart and he's got that desire in his heart. He is, not, he is not a unified person. He's got two different persons living inside of him. You know what? Every Christian has got that. Why? Because how many personalities do we have inside of us? We got two. We got two, right? Unsaved persons, how many do they have? One. One. Unless they're truly... <laughs> mentally disturbed, right? <laughs> they have more than one. But Christians have split personalities. And here Paul is talking about the split personality. Part of me wants to do good, and the other part of me wants to kick up rough and do evil. Split personality. Things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. I have the desire, in verse 18, he says, 
I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good. I cannot carry it out. He's in a battle. He's in a war. And which side is going to win? Which side is going to win? <clears throat> and then it, he, he says in verse uh, 19, For what I do is not the good I want to do. The evil I, I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So he's got this I, and the I is the spiritual part. It's the I that's united with Christ. And he's got the sin part living over here that pulls him away from Christ. Verse 21, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Once again, can't be said of an unbeliever. An unbeliever does not delight in God's law. <clears throat> but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature I'm a slave to the law of sin. Big conflict inside. And the psychiatrist, she scratches her head and she says, this person just has to be less spiritual. Give up their Christian life and then they'll feel much better about themselves. And many psychiatrists believe that. You see, Christianity is, causes trouble. Just be a true person and live out your own life. That's what they would say. Just live out your own life. And we're called not to live out our own life. We're called to live out the life of Christ. So we got, we got this pull going on inside of us. And, the, and the, the unsaved psychiatrist is going to say, just get rid of the pull. Forget about your Christian testimony or your Christian life, and you'll, you'll, have, you'll, you'll have much more peace inside you. Is that the answer? No, that's not the answer. The answer is not less of Jesus. The answer is more of Jesus. And especially the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're in a war, just like the Ukrainians are in a war with Russia, what do they need in order to get stronger? They need help. They need they need uh, uh, stinger missiles, <laughs> they need anti-aircraft guns, they need, they need small arms, they need uh, flak uh, suits, they, they, they need all of this power, right? And as the, other, as the NATO countries feed all the power, they're, they're, they're blocking the Russians to a stalemate right now. Because they got the weapons, they got the guns, right? So what Paul is, oh, go ahead, bros. Yeah, but my, my question is this, Rose, is the conscience the power source? No. What's it the, is just there to correct. It's, the conscience just alerts me 
to the fact that I've sinned. The conscience does not give me the power to get out of sin. Right? What does give me the power to get out of sin? The Holy Spirit. And why do we call him the Holy Spirit? Because he is holy. He is the spirit of holiness. So the first reason, and this is the introduction to the, to the to life in the Spirit, right? Romans chapter 8 is the introduction to life in the Spirit, right? The first reason why I need the Holy Spirit is to be holy. Now, a lot of people say, well, give me the Holy Spirit and I can do miracles. Give me the Holy Spirit and I can, uh, you know, fire the loaves and fishes. I'll multiply the loaves and fish. No, no, no. The first reason for getting the Holy Spirit is to be holy. And in Romans chapter 8, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how, how, to, how to walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. How to walk in the power of the Spirit and this war within you can be won. Why? Because, the, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. There's more power, there's more firepower in the, with the Spirit than there is with the flesh. You can win the war. And that's what Romans 8 is all about. Any, any questions about that? Romans chapter 7, he ends up being a pretty disappointed man. Who's going to deliver me? And then the answer comes, it's through life in Christ. It's through what Jesus provides. He provides the Holy Spirit. Any questions? Good. Let's go and enjoy the service. Let's pray.